0: Give the people an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you, they will stumble, they will fall. But in time, they will join you in the sun. In time, you will help them accomplish wonders. My name's Tom Jennings and this is the 24 Frames Cast and um, I'm glad to be back speaking with you all again. It has been a while, I know, and there have been a kind of a number of reasons why really. Number one, my work life has been absolutely crazy. Um, number two, I have another podcast with Joachim doing the uh, Masters of Cinema cast, which um, you, we've managed to kind of keep a kind of quite regular schedule on that and I've been kind of... Um, want to kind of dedicate some of my time to that, if you haven't already subscribed and you haven't listened to it yet, it's you can find us at moccast.blogspot.com. You can find us on iTunes of Masters of Cinema Cast. We've recently yeah had some great guests on, especially uh, West Anthony to talk about um Touch of Evil and David Blake to talk about Floating Weeds, and it's been a really really interesting doing the podcast, and it has been one of the reasons why I've kind of neglected this one. But there was also another reason, which I could slightly personal reason, which is that my girlfriend, like I've been within together now for. For many years, we've decided to kind of split up and it's been the most amicable divorce, I suppose, um, in the history of splitting up. So I, I, Strangely, like, one thing I have noticed, when you kind of um, been with someone for a long time and they're technically classed as your girlfriend, and you say, I've split up with my girlfriend, it doesn't say uh, sound as bad as if you say, I'm divorcing my wife. And that, it's with a the weird things. I think our sort of relationship lasted longer than some people's... Um, Marriage did and i've actually been almost tempted to do a podcast on the uh on uh, on the joys of being um of going through this experience because it has been quite a good fun in a bizarre way it's um certainly uh a weight off my mind for both of us and I think it was one of the things that was kind of stopping me from kind of hitting the microphone so much and kind of carrying on with other things especially, I've talked about it ad nauseum really but I haven't really been able to finish up my short film, I'm still doing the sound mix and I've had kind of, you know, obviously when you've got sort of personal things on your mind it does become a bit of a nightmare and I was just conscious of the fact that I haven't put out an episode for a while and I want to get back into kind of a bit of a more of a a routine and i thought what better opportunity than to talk about man of steel and i don't normally do um film reviews of contemporary films i, I tend to avoid doing that but this year i've been to the cinema uh more times than any other I've, I've been to see about 20 films so far and most of those have come by going to the corner house theater in manchester which is the local art house and um as a kind of art house cinema goes it's pretty good i've Obviously pleased to see that um we've actually got a grant from the european union to build a better bigger and better cinema the current one has three screens one of which is quite a reasonable size the other two are pretty small and they're going to get a new seven screen cinema and it's quite a, a nice place to kind of go and kind of you tend to meet uh like-minded film people they don't allow kind of well, you can't buy things like popcorn and nachos to munch in the film and it's uh yeah it's been it's been, it's been good going there a lot this year and I've not really been to see many kind of pole Hollywood releases and I was really looking forward to Man of Steel so I just thought I'd kind of do a brief episode really about the film so we are an excuse to talk about it and again obviously more importantly as well to do another episode so there can be nothing else on this apart from a look at Man of Steel. When I was a young boy growing up in Kent I remember arriving at the local primary school and we were summoned to the school hall where a very stern-faced head teacher came in and he told us and he was one of those kind of head teachers who kind of instantly kind of made you kind of be scared he was quite an imposing man he looked looked like something i suppose out of um a hammer horror film thinking about it he was a, a fairly uh, striking guy an incredibly deep voice a bit like kind of christopher lee and, He summoned us in and then proceeded to tell us that one of our number, who the name of the person who it was has escaped me now in the mists of time, but they had actually jumped out of the window of the second floor of their house, um, wearing their mum's pinny round their back, pretending to be Superman, thinking that they could actually fly. And I seem to remember thinking at the time, I, I, I I can't have been any older than seven. Um, what an absolute idiot that person was! And we, the head teacher told us, kind of, quite solemnly, obviously, we should never try to um, replicate what we actually saw. The child actually survived, by the way. It's just suffered a broken arm, um, but I think it was kind of a testament, really, to how important Superman was to me and my friends. It was a film that we all used to absolutely love. I mean, not to the point where you know we'd try and jump out of windows. I, I, I thinking back, how, how stupid could you actually have been to, to have done that, even at that age? I mean, it was fairly obvious that, um, you know, Superman, he, you know, we're not all Superman. We are sort of mere mortals and we can't obviously fly. And it, it, thinking back to those times, I must have watched Superman. The, obviously, this is the kind of the uh, Christopher Reeve version, probably at least a hundred times when I was a kid. And we used to have kind of like house parties where we'd have my friends over and stuff and we'd, we'd put them all on. And it just seemed to me, I I I remember used to get so excited when that kind of brilliant kind of comic book would come up and the music would begin and we had the kind of stuff in Smallville. And the older I got, that film always stayed with me. It never seemed to kind of age badly. I mean, obviously the stuff with Margot Kidder now is pretty awful. The uh, you know, can you read my mind section. But for the most part... Superman—it's a wonderful film. It's a classic slice of Americana, and I think people people think I'm taking the piss when I say this, but I really genuinely am not. I think Superman is one of the kind of the greatest fictional creations, and I, I consider it up there to be something like something like Hamlet, really, for a modern era. Just because you know, obviously, it was a comic book. I, I still think there is something about the character that kind of resonates with me today, and I, I've I've always enjoyed the films, and I, I personally consider superman 2 to be possibly the best superhero film ever made I, I i certainly prefer it to the first superman i don't like the kind of the ending that it has where you know, in both films we have this kind of superman flying around the earth because it kind of sets a precedent because every time something bad happens all he needs to do is fly around the earth make it spin the other way in time will go backwards i think it kind of loses it like that but i i, I always loved that film and say so that new richard Donner cut where we kind of have you know marlon brando put back in and it's it's a really uh, powerful film. And I, I. Christopher Reeves' performance, you know, certainly for Superman, I think that's Oscar worthy. I I really do. And I'm not being sarcastic. And it's a character as well who. There's something quite corny about him in a way. Same kind of thing suffers from Captain America. And, you know, it's kind of. You know, he, he's certainly a. Um, he's certainly, you know, very much an American. You know, he, Superman is. He, I, although he kind of is here for the human race, he, he he he's very much kind of an embodiment, I suppose, in many ways, or at least kind of pretends to be the kind of the embodiment of many kind of American values, and you know, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. I suppose I I I've, I I've, I've, to be honest with you, I, it's always been part of the charm of him for for me, and I always enjoyed the villains in Superman too, um, especially of course, obviously Lex Luthor. I yeah, interesting enough, I. I never watched um, the series Smallville, and I understand yeah you know, something worth well checking out for the relationship between kind of um, Lex and Super. Oh, sorry, Clark Kent, as it were. And I, for some reason, I, I could never quite get into it. And I, I might go, I might go and watch it one day. But you know, Lex Luthor was always one of these villains who you know he was funny and he was clever and, and you know he frightened me a little bit. of it's a fantastic performance by Gene Hackman, and it, it's just a really wonderful set of films i don't like three and four obviously but when superman returns came out um i was probably one of the few people that quite liked that film i i don't think it it's it's great by any stretch of the imaginations i I'm, i still have severe reservations about um brian singer as a director i i, I really I, I don't think he's ever done anything that's come close to the usual suspects you know although i did enjoy valkyrie quite a lot but um i don't know whether he was the right person for that film the thing about superman returns was i i felt it was a film that no one really wanted anyway i i don't think there was a clamoring for superman at the time i think that the time wasn't quite right for a character who's that clean cut i think it was the kind of you know we'd obviously had the kind of the batman films begun and you know, everything was getting a little bit darker and I, what with Smallville going on as well, I think there was too there was, there was too much Superman in a, in a, in a way. I think people were happy with what they had with Smallville, and it, it seemed one of these films that kind of no one really wanted and no one really wanted to see that much. And yeah, it suffered, and unfortunately, in the kind of cynical ways that we're in, it became a target for a lot of vitriolic and quite unfair and. Um, pretty harsh criticism and i i do agree with a lot of people i think the, the main sort of story is fairly daft really with what lex luther's trying to do but i enjoyed the fact that it was kind of followed on from superman 2 and if you look at kind of superman superman 2 and superman returns as kind of a trilogy i think it's actually quite a um a, 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 a well-rounded set of films and especially when you look at the end of superman returns because that's an incredibly emotional moment when um, he's kind of you know, looking at down at his child, and I think it's you know, it's quite solemn in many respects, and it's um, it's not triumphant, I suppose. That might have been one of the the, the problems with the film. I don't know, but as a whole, I I think it's a fairly sort of interesting trifecta of superhero films that kind of dares to kind of well, in the end, I, I suppose not go with the kind of the huge sort of everyone lives happy ever after ending. And although it's a superhero film, I think it's got a an ending which is you know, very much echoed in the human in the human world of a father not being able to kind of communicate or be a father to his own son. I think that's incredibly profound and a very kind of moving way of ending this, quite bold as well in many respects. The film wasn't a huge success and it sort of left everyone a bit kind of like, right, well, let's kind of leave Superman alone for a while. And I would imagine that, you know, Warner Brothers must have been, I suppose slightly in kind of a loss of what to do with it really, because here you have you know, a character that has a tremendous fan base and a lot of kind of people feel very, very passionate about it. But you have a film which really, you know, if you look at it as the five Superman films that had um, come out, only sort of, I suppose, two of them had been a success. I mean, I think Superman Returns did make its money back, but only just, it wasn't, you know, it didn't do gangbuster numbers. And he, they must have been, I suppose, quite kind of unsure of what to do next. And I suppose the best thing to do in situations like this is to go is not try and rush anything out just kind of go back to the drawing board, which is kind of what they did. And part of the reason why we've had Man of Steel is that the contract that Christopher Nolan signed with Warner of Brothers um, was that he you know, part of that was that he agreed to come on as um, a producer. Man of Steel and instantly kind of the attachment of Christopher Nolan people get very excited and you know I, I certainly, you know enjoy his films immensely. And when it was announced that kind of Zack Schneider was gonna be on as director, again I'm a I'm a huge Zack Snyder films. I, I a Schneider fan, sorry, I really do enjoy his films. Um, arguably I much preferred um, the dawn, his Dawn of the Dead to so the original Dawn of the Dead and I know that's you know probably not the done thing to say but it's certainly how I feel um, really enjoyed 300 love Watchmen, haven't seen Legend of the Guardians yet but um, Sucker Punch such an underrated film um, arguably I think one of the boldest um, films to come out of Hollywood in a long time and uh, I don't again I don't mean I'm taking the piss on that I really do genuinely believe that and you know, he's he's very much part of the kind of the Warner Brothers family. He's, you know, I suppose it's all barred on the dead of all these other films have been made with them, and you know it seemed like a very good marriage for me to have. I, I do not really want uh, Christopher Nolan to be directing everything that comes out. I think it's good that you kind of have you know, um, someone who can get involved in that kind of producer department and become a you know, kind, of, kind of a guide, really. And you have someone like Snyder who has such a profound and interesting visual style. That I, I thought this was a really um, interesting collaboration and I personally was really pleased that it was going to happen and this year of all the films that were coming out I I, I was looking forward to Man of Steel as the big tentpole Hollywood release now I have not seen um, Iron Man 3 um, or as I'll talk about in a minute um Star Trek Into Darkness and the kind of the problem is it has been I have found anyway m- my interest in major Hollywood films has really kind of fallen off completely and part of that is because in, in this kind of effort to try and go to the cinema often when I've been going to kind of the corner house in Manchester they only show films for a limited time really and yet they, some films will last for a month other times they won't and it, it really depends on what kind of viewing figures they're getting and Quite honestly, there's been films that I've been more interested coming out that week that I've decided to go and see over stuff that's kind of coming out in like like your Iron Man 3s. And I just kind of thought to myself that I'm sort of sick in many regards of the films themselves. They kind of, they they seem incredibly dull to me now. And it's the fact that the, the levels of the kind of saturation of the marketing, and they just put me off because they, essentially they try and sell you the same thing over and over again and it just gets lost on people like me mean, I, I, just, I just don't I don't see the trailer for Iron Man 3 and I'm not jumping up for joy going oh you know well, where are the Avengers and you know um, oh you know look, this one looks dark and you know God, God what's going to happen we, we all know what's going to happen Tony Stark isn't going to die nothing but that bad's really going to happen it's just going to be a very kind of loud and you know whatever type of film and it's, I think it's the people around these films as well that do my head in. I can't stand the kind of the incessant Facebook discussions on trivial little details about what essentially are incredibly average films. It just doesn't interest me at all. And you know, I, I, one day I'll, I'll get around to watching Iron Man three. And I did enjoy Iron Man and Iron Man two. I know it's not so. I know you're not meant to say you enjoy Iron Man two. Apparently, that's you know, whatever. I don't, I don't. I don't really give a shit. But you know, the kind of you know, the third part of what really is a fairly average franchise, you know, and again, you know, the Avengers, you know, we've, we've had it all before. I'm just kind of marvelled out, I suppose, and I didn't really want to kind of missing something else on that was at the corner house that might not be there the next week. So, you know, I I, I abstained basically. And, and we have the other sort of side of the debating as well, which is people you know, doing this sort of box office predictions for 2015, you know, like, oh, Disney had better watch their back in 25, in 2015, because we've got this coming out, and oh yes, but Disney's got Star Wars, I just, you know what, it's just so boring, it, it, to me it's about as interesting as the announcement that Kenny G is going to go back to his roots and is working on a saxophone interpretations of Mariah Carey albums, I just, I couldn't give a fuck, I, re- I really don't, especially for kind of films that are so far off in in the future, and then of course, you know, we had kind of the next one that you know everyone was going to drone on about was Star Trek into the whatever the fuck it was called, and you know, I I really enjoy Star Trek. I hated the 2009 J.J. J. Abraham's film. I think it had been kind of reworked and re bloody rebooted or whatever it is into something which I found was not fun at all I thought it was absolutely awful and when kind of people say Abrahams is a bad director they're forgetting that he is the product of a kind of directorial evolution that kind of began with Spielberg and Lucis this is the Frankenstein monster that the industry has produced You know, so media friendly no doubt he's a very nice guy but you know give him some money and he'll give you a stack but but you know he's only good film for me has been Mission Impossible 3 and it's you know it's as safe as, as human can possibly be you know Super 8 is an abomination of a film and, um, if he Star Trek exploits or anything to go by, I think you know Star Wars is going to be some a complete ordeal um I think his work lacks any kind of edge or daring it's He just cannot hold a shot for more than a few seconds. He's a less irritating version of Michael Bay, I think, and you know he makes films for the masses to enjoy, and lots of them seem to and you know what well, you know good on them but it's just it's just not really for me. And, you know, of course, we've got a slew of them coming out, haven't we? We've got Thor 2, again, not interested. Um, I don't know if Captain America's out this this year, not not interested. Uh, I I just... I don't care uh, about any of these films. They just look the same kind of thing for me. However, Superman did... Well, sorry, Man of Steel, sorry, did really stoke my interest. The aforementioned team of um, Christopher, Christ Almighty Nolan and, and... Jack Schneider that kind of works for me David Goya writing um David Goya as well I I've seen him cop a lot of shit for his kind of writing before and um yeah you know he's someone who knows um you know the superhero genre and there's some, there's some good films on there I, I I would contest you know Blade I really enjoy Blade 2 quite enjoyed Blade Trinity's awful but you know, Batman Begins um The Dark Knight I think you know, he needed the story for that to be fair, but you know, Dark Knight Rises as well involved there, and you know, there's been a couple, you know, of four for one thing, Ghost Rider, Spirit of the Vengeance, Jumper. You know, there's there are some dross in there, but you know, it's a fairly steady um, superhero film, right? I mean, yeah, his films do have a kind of a darker edge to them, and I thought that's something which, obviously, in the age of where everything has to be darker, you know, might serve Superman well. And the, the other thing I like about Scott Zack Snyder, was that I, I I'm on the you know I'm not on the um, kind of increasingly smug and self-congratulating bland fest that slash film there was some snooty guest on that declared that um films offended her and although how and why was never quite explained I think it sort of simply reinforced the fact that he must be doing something right for me to like him and it began and I I, I saw the teaser trailer for for Man of Steel and I my interest was stoked really I, I it it looked kind of sublime to me. It had that kind of like Lisa Gerrard music, and there was some kind of Terence Malick-esque shots of, you know, kind of I think it was like butterflies and things like that. And it looked completely different. And um, I managed to really ignore any other kind of form of marketing in preparation for the film, other than the fact that obviously, you know, uh, we knew that Kevin Costner was going to be in it and Russell Crowe. I like both of those. Um, Michael Shannon as well was going to be playing General Zod, and it was the only thing that. Initially I, I was quite pleased to know that Michael Shannon was gonna be in it. But then that was when the sort of the nagging doubt really began in my mind because it was he's playing General Zod and I suddenly thought Hang on a minute. You know, are we are we going back to this? Because people one of the things people said about Superman Returns was that it, Well, you yeah, know, we went back to Lex Luthor, and it was just it didn't do anything new and i am sort of thinking, Well I will give him the benefit of the doubt but it, it was you know the same real kind of issue that many people seem to have with star trek into the whatever the fuck um it's simply a a remake of khan and if i'm going to watch the wrath of khan i'm going to watch the rough of khan i don't want to watch some kind of spin-off and people tell me about the, the changes to it where you know spock is the one who this time shouts khan and kirk that's dying and you know really you know i missed that you know what, why is that interesting, why do people want that? It's, it's pathetic and I suddenly thought to myself, God, what if they go down the same kind of route with Man of Steel? What I sort of began to realise was that my, my biggest fear for Man of Steel was that it was going to be really essentially a retelling of Superman 1 and 2, and the issue I have with that is I consider those films to be almost perfect in many respects, Superman 2 certainly has, certainly has its issues, but was really kind of Noland and Goya and Schneider just going to try and spruce things up and serve us something that we've actually already seen before? And then I sort of asked myself this kind of question, really, was when was the last time I went to kind of go and watch a big Hollywood Temple film and had been kind of genuinely surprised? If you kind of stopped the film halfway through and said, look, you know, where's this film going? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't have been able to answer. And I began to wrap my brains, and the, kind of the only one I could come up with was probably The Dark Knight. And... Really, there was nothing else that I could think about. I mean, you could say, like, Sucker Punch is is in on that, but I'm talking kind of, like, really big, you know, Hollywood, summer movie stuff. And I think one of the issues with these films is they're all so safe and they don't really kind of push audiences. And, you know, to be sequel-friendly, you you can't really have major dramatic revelations because if you do that and you take those chances, you're potentially kind of scuppering... The fact that your audience for the sequel might not be as interested if you kind of kill someone off, and I began to sort of think about Ruff of Khan again, and you know, Spock dies, and it's it's utterly heartbreaking. Now, obviously, they bring him back, but in that instance, you yeah, know, we didn't know that Star Trek was coming back. It was, yeah, it was a horrible moment. You know. Empire Strikes Back, the good guys get the kind of crap kicked out of them in this film, and T, the kind of the cute alien fucks off and leaves the kid at the end. You know. Titanic, the the the, the gate. The Great Gatsby dies in the end of that Dark Knight. The good guy is so good he makes the bad guy look good by pretending to be a bad guy. All these films take risks, and the one thing that they all show to us is that you know, bad things can happen in films. Sad things can happen in films, and people will watch them. These films are huge, colossal hits. You know, we are not. We don't need to be wrapped in cotton wool. We are kind of we're adults, and we can take it. So. Really, were my expectations for Man of Steel? Were they kind of really based on a kind of? Did I have any right? I, I, I suppose to want this film to do something or to try and want it to surprise me? Was I was I right in thinking this should be a film that really kind of pushes what what you can do with the superhero genre, what you can kind of make audiences go through? And I wanted this film to lay down a marker and say, you know, like The Dark Knight, you know, we are going to. We're going to redefine what this genre can do. We are really going to try and push for things which take audiences on a journey that they're kind of not used to. It. So perhaps out of the comfort zone a little bit from what can you, can you expect because you can make these films for adults. You, know, you don't need to make it PG. You can stick a 12 certificate on it. And I, I went into the cinema sort of genuinely really excited for this. What you know, I, I feel there was genuine reason to expect great things out of Man of Steel. And I suppose the question is did it meet or exceed my expectations? And the simple answer to that is not in the slightest. And before I get to my kind of true thoughts on Man of Steel this is the first kind of question I had to ask myself because it was what format to watch this film on. Because I had four options in Manchester. I had IMAX 3D, IMAX 2D, normal 2D, or normal 3D. And by normal, I mean normal screen size. I had seen the teaser preview of this film when I went to go and watch The Hobbit. And quite honestly, that was in 3D. And obviously, I I learned that the film had been post-converted. And quite frankly, it looked absolutely rubbish. And I then thought about, well... What about 2D IMAX that was being offered? So I had a look at tickets. It was £15.60 for a ticket for 2D IMAX. Um, I think at current kind of conver- um, conversion rates, I think that's about $26 American dollars. I think something like that might be a little bit more. Um, depends how the wars are going. But yeah, I say, I do you know what? I'll, I'll sod that. I'm going to stick with normal 2D, and I went before 12 o'clock at the local AMC and for the re- rather reasonable price of £4.50. Um, apart from the fact that I had to spend the first five minutes of the film giving death glares to the man sat about four chairs down from me who kept rustling a bag and taking out sweets and eating them incredibly loudly. Um, I operate two strikes policy on the route on Loudy as they get one a glare and then one a polite can you shut up. Um, and if it goes to a third, I will get up and go and ask someone to come in the cinema and tell them to shut up. And this guy, he, he did, I think he got the impression I was about to explode, so he did actually put his sweets down and allowed me to enjoy the film. So, tucking in to Man of Steel, I suppose I'm going to talk about some of the things that I really enjoyed about it first. Yeah, The, the first thing this film kind of did well, in my opinion, was the presentation of Krypton. Now, there was something I didn't quite like about it, which was the fact that, you know, we have these kind of Avatar-esque animals flying around, I found that, slightly unnecessary but the art direction employed really worked well and it it, they went they've gone for this kind of metallic kind of tech look and it completely worked because you know it looked truly alien for once really um even superman i would contest that um the uh i suppose that kind of all white look that they went for you i suppose we've got a Take into account the effects and everything, but Krypton didn't really look like a very kind of populated place. It looked like kind of an icy rock, really. And here it feels like a huge and bustling kind of world. And I got a real kind of sense of the fact that Krypton society was extremely flawed. And again, I don't think we had that in the first films because you begin to see that these aren't kind of they're, obviously they're very advanced aliens, but they kind of, in terms of their society, it's a deeply flawed and um, fundamentally corrupt one. You know, the whole kind of system whereby everyone on Krypton is um, born for a specific role. It's it's a totalitarianism. Um, and I, I've heard, I've read stories, so some articles kind of talking about how it's this kind of like Plato-type-esque um, bureaucracy um, where you have kind of different levels of... Um, people in society of what of which General Zod um, played brilliantly by Michael Shannon I think throughout the entire film is a kind of a big believer in keeping this kind of Kryptonian society going and then you have Jor-El played by Russell Crowe who him and his wife have then had Jor-El the first natural born child on Krypton for many many years and I like the fact that there was this sort of societal element going on. It gave us, I think, a much greater understanding of the importance of Gerard and why he's so significant. And the opening of the film, I thought, was genuinely really quite brilliantly handled. I think Zack Snyder sets his stall out from the from the off, really, about how he's going to kind of go for things. And it is this kind of typically um, brisk style of of handheld camera work and ever so slightly pointless kind of crash zooms during some of the kind of flying sequence it's a bit like Battlestar Galactica where they used to kind of drop, still have that maintain that handheld aesthetic even for the stuff in space and I never really liked it in that and I certainly don't like it here but obviously we have the kind of the setup of the MacGuffin which is this codex that gets um infused into um so um DNA, which you know, will have the kind of the blueprints really for kind of keeping the Kryptonian race alive, and you know we have General Zod and he's his kind of henchmen getting arrested, and it's yeah, so far so Superman. It's you know, for all its bells and whistles, it's essentially exactly the same opening, and this is really where I instantly begin to sort of think to myself, well how how different is this film going to be and one thing i would say i i like the fact that michael shannon has in general zod he actually has a reasons for being nasty this guy's bred to preserve krypton that's his job you know that's that's, that's his sole purpose for living and it didn't just make him this angry bad guy it made him uh, not, not so much sympathetic but it gave him a reason for being the way he is a bona fide reason as well which i enjoyed i, I like the fact i like my bad guys to be prop to, to have something about them, you know. Star Trek, that stupid character whose name I can't remember played, um, play, played by Eric Banner. I never really understood why I was so pissed off when it did explain what it was crossed about. Um, it's it seemed completely unjustified. I didn't understand it, and um, yeah. You know, at least I felt Michael Shannon, General odd and he had something to play with as an actor. He had some kind of inward to go to, and uh, I think it comes out in his performance. But we have, you know, obviously the reason why um, Jarell, um, Kalal's being sent to Earth, and there's a reason for Zod to want to go and get him. So, I'm not really. As long as it's not sort of, you know, they just randomly decide to go to Earth. You know, there is a sort of motivation enough for Zod to want to do that. But the, the key thing here is the film is what, suffering from what I call a version of something called set piece syndrome, which is this opening to this film is absolutely huge. It is enormous. And the problem here is that. When scale engulfs the screen to this point, whereby you know, your eyes and ears are just being bombarded with so much information, so much CGI, a kind of numbness takes over in many respects. And this opening would, it would suffice as a conclusion to a film. But you know, we've got this at the beginning, which only means things are going to get bigger, which really, as part of set-piece syndrome, means... I'm pretty certain that my interest in the film is going to kind of go away because I, 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 I'm i not impressed anymore by this type of thing and I, I don't think it is that impressive only from a kind of a technical standpoint. If you want to kind of ogle at CGI, you know, go and put on, I don't know, 2012 by Roland Emmerich you know, with the sound off you and know, watch that. If that's your thing, go and do that. I, I you know, Although I've never seen anything like Krypton before, I've seen this type of filmmaking before and whilst I was watching this, I I began to squirm. A little bit, because I was becoming anxious that this was what this film was going to be about, and sadly, uh, those those worries w- were fully justified. And yeah, you know, of course, we get to Earth and we see that young Clark Kent, or uh, Superman, or Kal El, whatever you want to call him, he's now working on what looks like his deadliest catch. And I could tell from the kind of the visual palette as well from this that kind of Snyder had gone for very much kind of a film filmic look, as I understand the film was actually filmed on 35 minutes and although we had this kind of like pure digital um, kind of opening beginning, I think um, his films always look really stunning to me I, 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 I love the work that he does they always they're, they're very unique looking and I think um, in this case I, I quite kind of like the washed out kind of metallic look he went for on Earth especially and it was, it's reassuring to see um mainstream hollywood filmmakers still going for thirty five minutes and still being still caring about the aesthetic look of film and certainly uh, along with um cinematographer um Amir Mukherjee, i i think they they have really crafted an extraordinary looking film um probably won't get nominated for any Oscars, but I certainly think it, it's uh, yeah i was i was very very impressed with it and um <laughs> we have this scene on on this fishing boat. And this isn't about kind of building character or anything like that. There's no kind of insights offered here. The whole point of this fishing scene is so that we can have um, a, a, an emergency message come through that an oil rig is on fire. And of course, you know, what, what do we have? Well, we have another huge set piece and we know that how Superman is strong. And, you know, he jumps off the boat and he goes and saves a load of oil workers and... All this kind of concludes with a shot, a very good-looking shot of him underwater with his eyes closed, and all that really there is to do is to usher in a flashback to Smallville where we have the young clerk. And here we have him performing what is clearly a miracle as a child where he's saving from his classmates from a bus crash. And it's at this stage, I think, that I, I just need to talk about one element of man as still because there is a very, very clear... Um, christ-like parable running through this film it is it's it it's so obvious i mean some people i i think seem to have a little bit of an issue with it and i i just wanted to kind of talk about it a little bit just as a sort of an interjection really because superman to me it's always had this kind of parable of christ going through it you know we have this kind of essentially what is a god, and especially, you know, on the case of Krypton, you know, we know that he's a special one, he's sent by his father to our planet to kind of help kind of steer the earth in the direction of right, and obviously the kind of the plot of Man of Steel is that kind of General Zod comes out and demands that he be sacrificed and you know, Superman does what's great for humankind and does the honourable thing and allows himself to be sacrificed, so to speak, though obviously ends up winning and yada, yada, yada. And I know that the Christian imagery is, is, is there, the story is there, it is so blindingly obvious I don't, it's, there's no attempt made whatsoever to even begin to kind of hide the fact that this is a Christ's Allegory film. And for some reason... Um, this has really kind of galvanised many Christians and it's also annoyed a lot of atheists and I'm going to address uh, the, the latter first. You know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an atheist myself, I don't believe a word of the Bible. Um, I think it's as fictitious as Superman and I don't say that could be, I genuinely do. I think the two are just completely, you know, they're just an imaginative bit of writing and the fact that this film has clearly you know, borrowed from Christ, so it doesn't bother me in the slightest, I don't, I don't. a good story is worth telling again, the story of Jesus is a good story um, it, it, it teaches a moral lesson I suppose and so does this and I've seen it before in other films I've seen it in Spartacus, I've seen it in The Matrix, it's there, it's, it's part of our culture uh, and I, I don't really understand why people were kind of offended by this or surprised by it I, I I get it's beyond me it's it's as you want I mean d- does this film does it ram down your throat that you should upon seeing it go and you know go to a church and suddenly you know become you know, suddenly start looking seriously at the life of Jesus I don't think it does at all it doesn't inspire me to do anything of the sort um I don't think as well it's going to inspire people to do that I can pretty much guarantee that since this film has come out attendances of churches have remained the same I can't believe anyone would see this who is an atheist and say, do you know what, I'm now going to go and seek um, about the life of Jesus. And I think on the other flip side of that, talking about Christians, I, I think if they think this film is going to inspire people to to, you know, to start looking at the life of Jesus, I think they're, they're, they're mistaken. I, I, I don't think it will have that effect whatsoever on anyone. And the, the other one I can't really understand is why people are so, why Christians are so pleased that this film... Um, it's, it's clearly a christ parable i don't really it's just telling them a story they 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 probably know inside and out and uh, someone did suggest to me that as a Christian they felt that they could feel the weight of the sacrifice that Superman was making because of their understanding that the sacrifice that Jesus made and um i, I suppose that's the person an offshoot of the personal, personal relationship someone has w- with their sort of religious beliefs um i don't think that for a second to be honest with you um and i i have always found there's something to be um inherently false about um christ's story anyway and his subsequent resurrection and I, it's never really kind of rung true to me and I, I, you know if, if that's what they if that's what they believed that's, then that's that's what you know. Props to them. That, that, that if if they, if they want to think like that, go 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 straight ahead. But it's not something you know. I don't really see that, and I don't really think that as well. And I was also told by another Christian friend that one of the reasons why they were so happy that there is this kind of very very clear religious sort of signs in the film is the fact that um, they it, it's nice to see kind of religion being put back into kind of mainstream. And they were sort of suggesting that religion has been sort of cast adrift from and mainstream mass entertainment well my answer to that is go again go and watch the matrix it, it's there as well it's it's there in so many i mean you know spartacus the tv series and the film you know the it's all there i, I the influence of christianity i think is everywhere especially in films television and, and, and novels and i mean um, i occasionally listen to um the more than one lesson podcast with tyler smith and that's a a, a podcast in which him and his guests talk about um film criticism from a christian perspective and it's you know it's often surprising to sort of see what films they pick and you know understanding what they can get out of them as a christian you know i, I think i think it's there i, I don't think it's ever gone away and um i think for either side to make a big deal out of it i, I think is kind of pointless to a degree and you know someone was saying that um and i think you know, it, it's just a case of getting over it and, and, and moving on because it, Superman has always had that. You know, go and watch the first one. It's still there and it, it will be forevermore. And I, I don't think it's any sort of need to kind of read a great deal into it. And really, I, I, I mean, I, I do suppose I, I find it quite interesting that the filmmakers have so explicitly gone to that. But why not? I mean, um, it, it I suppose it gives the character weight. I, I think that they're making, in my opinion, I think they're making um, a statement about the fact really, of how possibly this is a modern-day miracle, what you know, Superman does in the film in order to kind of sacrifice himself. And it gives weight to the film, I think. It gives weight to the sacrifice, in a way. And um, you, you can so often um, film, there doesn't seem like kind of much of a peril there. And I, I thought in the context of this film, it was a good decision for the filmmakers to make. OK, no, anyway, so back to the film Superman, because it's roughly divided into three different narratives. We have the present in which General Zod is going to turn Earth into a kind of new Krypton, therefore killing everyone. Clark as a young man learning life lessons from his father, Jonathan Kent, who doesn't want him to reveal himself until the time is right. And a young Clark realising he is a bit different from all the other kids. Of course, a scene with him reading Plato and not being beaten up by some bullies. In each strand, the film offers really nothing that has not been done before. Arguably, you could argue thus far this is a slightly better cast. However, for the record, I really enjoyed Henry Cavill as Superman. He has the the look of Superman for sure, and indeed, I think he can act. However, I rather think his career won't go the same way as so many other supermen. I I think this will be. I, I, I can see him being in a lot more than just this film, basically. But the overriding feeling I had from Man of Steel was one of tragic kind of familiarity because we've all seen it before, It's not even the exchanges of dialogue are bad, they're just so predictable, so familiar that the overwhelming feeling of here we go again came over me. This is exactly the same Superman we saw in the original film, the character is going nowhere anywhere new. Why is this even an issue? Well. Because it's not, is it not what we have come to hate from Hollywood? Is it not the very same reason that diehard fans hated Star Trek Into Darkness? At a frankly staggering $250 million, this film is precisely the type of techno rehashes that consume vast amounts of money to simply show a new generation of film which they will consider the original to be outdated and crap. A CGA action fest that is 20 years will be considered rubbish-looking also. It is simply indicative of another Hollywood money grab. And I also firmly believe that by having Nolan involved, people instantly think that this film is something better than it actually is. The sheer number of people who have commented that you can feel his voice or see his guiding hand in the film is staggering. How is this really when the film is just Superman and Superman 2 – is it because Jonathan Kent implies Clark should not have let a load of kids drown? Is is that considered dark and edgy? Is this somehow indicative of a more reflective, deeper film? No is my answer, really. I do think the film is a little bit more edgy, even if just in implication, but the simple fact of the matter is Man of Steel is completely devoid of any humour whatsoever, and it, yes, it's kind of less campy than the original films, but you know, the world has changed. And I suppose we have to kind of update these things. And, you know, we don't really need a kind of uh, another kind of Margot Kidder flying scene. But one thing that The Dark Knight Rises did was it had people kind of clamouring, really, to kind of attach meaning to it. Now, from my experience, I think Christopher Nolan likes to chuck in a lot of things, i.e. concepts and ideas. But he often doesn't really kind of say a great deal. And some say, for example, The Dark Knight Rises was a ringing endorsement or the affirmation of the need to subdue and pacify the work classes, a kind of neoconservative wet dream. I don't really think that at all. Instead, I think, believe Nolan is more focused on telling a story and what works best for the situation. When Jonathan Kent tells Clark he possibly should have let the kids drown, it's because the screenwriters are trying to get us to a moment where Superman allows Jonathan Kent to die. It is to give that scene more impact, pure and simple. In short, I think these kind of darker, edgier moments are really more kind of screenwriting devices or setups for what later comes in the film, and if it clearly positions itself as a battle between freedom, represented by Superman, and the American army of course, and totalitarianism by Zod and his crew, again, exactly the same story as Superman 2. Yeah, I had another issue with the film in this sense, because I feel Man of Steel is kind of a little out of of place really in the world the notion of america being the greatest democracy on earth is even more so now totally false superman is an american of course he was raised in kansas but here is where i feel the film missed a trip because rather than make him truly a man of the world he is still the patriotic red white and blue all-american hero yes that works for captain america but for the entire but for the savior of the entire species i simply don't think it rings true anymore To me, this film felt just like another America saved the day, minus the moderately amusing moments of film like Independence Day, but nearly beat for beat like The Avengers, Transformers, or any other city-based carnage ending. We've been there and we've seen it all before. And of course, because the film opens so hugely, we have to have these kind of final climatic scenes ten times bigger. And whilst all this was going on, I just found myself tuning out, wondering what was on next in the cinema. The film also lacks an emotional core, and we're supposed to get one in the utterly stilted and awful relationship between Lois Lane, of course played by Amy Adams, and Superman or Clark. Now, I hate the Lois Lane as a character. In no version of Superman has it ever been done well, including the animated versions. Now, Amy Adams is a fine actress for sure, however the script gives her nothing. David Goyer simply does not write compelling female character. I mean, just look at his films. Females in his films are script devices and people second. Here, through her detective skills, she discovers who Clark is by tracking him to a super top secret dig in the Arctic. And of course, you'd invite a journalist along. You wouldn't be able to kind of pull any strings at all to make sure that it was completely devoid of anyone who's going to go running to the papers. It gives some crappy reason why she should be there, but let's be honest, it's ridiculous. You simply would not, you'd pull string the president, whoever would say you don't have to, but of course it's being a film. She has to get there. And also, it's you know, it's not the Fortress of Solitude. It's a frozen spaceship, but who really cares? It's exactly the same thing and serves exactly the same purpose as it did before. And she tracks down who he is, tries to help him, and then out of nowhere, they are in love. And please, can someone tell me why zod demanded that he go to she go to the spaceship other than another lazy piece of screenwriting so we could have a setup so clark had to go and save her she serves no purpose in this film it would work fine without her she is only there as padding yes she is superman lore to an extent but when she is so redundant to the story there's a case for not for her not being in it at all many have also jumped for joy at the action scenes Now CGI now means we can do anything and what we can do, we can do it over and over and over again. The dramatic issue with Superman and people like General Zod is that they are indestructible, which means when they fight there is zero risk of injury ever. So when they crash through buildings and use trains to bash each other, nothing is going to happen. They simply can't be injured. Therefore Snyder adds some kind of military types into the fray in the form of... Colonel Hardy whose job it is to be in harm's way, which he does with a plum. But here's a thought, is it not obvious that Zod and co can't be touched at all? So why then sacrifice soldier after soldier? Well of course it means that we can have A-10s exploding reality, it is nothing more than just noise. The action isn't helped by the headache inducing amount of fake camera wobble, zooms and rapid cutting. Now it may have looked good, but to me my head was becoming addled with all this visual nonsense. It simply looks completely and utterly fake. It has no sense of reality, which coupled with the fact that no one can get hurt makes for an emotionally dull and unengaging mash of smashing around. Now, a brief interjection here too. Hans Zimmer's score. I wasn't expecting anything near John Williams, but what I was hoping was to get some kind of lift out of this soundtrack, and what I really wanted was a theme. I want to have that moment where the kind of the music kicks in and I get goosebumps, and there isn't anything like that. Nothing. Instead, what we have is a kind of mashup of his inception and Batman scores. For such an iconic character, this has to be one of the most non-event scores ever put to film. On its own, it is a dirge. In the film, you can barely hear it. Anyway, I was amazed and perplexed at how bland it was and why they opted to go down this route. It's almost as if we've come too cool for themes now. More of the pity, because it is what often needs that moment in cinema history that stays with us for all our lives. Now, of course, the film spends its running time getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more dull. The final is a mass of on-screen CGI carnage. Now, yeah, some of it looks a bit kind of 9-11-esque and no, I don't care about people in office blocks who die. I scarcely care about the characters I'm meant to in this film anyway. And along the way, we have, you know, kind of Amongst all this chaos, we have the least dramatic working out of alien technology in the history of any film when the guy out the West Wing is confronted with a cosmic Rubik's Cube and solves this impossible riddle by simply moving it to the left a little bit. And that seems to solve everything. And of course, with zero military experience, the Air Force Ops take Lois along for the ride so she can be rescued by Superman and eventually kiss him in another contrived screenwriting moment. And it goes on and on and on. Now there can be no denying, Man of Steel is a stunning film in some respects, but it's the same stunning I've seen in 2012, The Avengers and Oblivion, and of course the countless other films whose dull CGI previews show us their CGI credentials. It says and offers nothing that we have not seen before in the Superman franchise. The end of Superman Returns sees a character looking down at his son, a father unable to hold and cradle his own child. It is a devastatingly emotional moment and trumps anything in this film and I think that is indicative really of how shallow and dull an experience Man of Steel was for me. It doesn't have, I think, the likability factor of the other films which is hindered so much by a script that is just so dedicated to giving us set piece after set piece. It is, I believe, the most shallow and boring mode of filmmaking there currently is. And what's really surprised me again about this film, and it's almost like an Avengers syndrome type of criticism, is that the internet now is completely shut off from any kind of criticism. You can't discuss this film unless you want to kind of talk about how incredible it is. I actually saw on Facebook someone taking the fact that. Someone else didn't like the film as a personal attack on me. And this is not healthy to discuss films and to talk about films in this way. It is basically, if you love this film, you're in a club. If you don't, well, you're kind of a boring, pithy outsider. And it, it, it's sad, really. It is pathetic to an extent. And it's what really kind of forces me away from entering into those types of debates. And, you know, Man of Steel... Obviously, for me, it's been a staggering disappointment. I don't look down on people that enjoy it. I just, I really just implore people to kind of take a step back and really sort of try and just... And I implore people, really, to kind of take a step back and just look at Man of Steel. And really, what's the difference between this and The Avengers and all these films? What what, what makes this one any better than those? And I, I just can't see how... And for me, I'm not you know, trying to be a film snob here. I, I do like big-budget Hollywood films, but when they're this bland and this dull, I really can't see what all the fuss is about. And seeing the fact that we've got this depressingly stupid, or well, if you don't like it, you're not with us attitude emerging on the internet, I think we're in a bad way again. And this was, as I said at the beginning of the episode, this was the one Hollywood film I really looking forward to this year and it's been a crushing disappointment and it makes me hate superhero films again i'm i'm just sick of them i every one every trailer i see i just think I, i've i've seen this before and this thing about superman uh, sorry man of steel it's just the greatest hits of other superhero films i've seen before we have the opening of the X-Men where kind of you know, Wolverine's in a bar and he's about to beat someone up. We have a scene very similar to that. We have the kids bullying the young superhero. Saw that in Daredevil. We have the Avengers finale. We've seen it all before. And I feel this was a really genuine wasted opportunity by all concerned to do something really interesting with the Superman character to establish him in a new world. We live in... You know, we live in a new world now, and I, th- I think this film doesn't take place in that. It still takes place in the Superman from those original comics all those years ago. It's so ridiculously American centric that I-, I almost find it embarrassing in a way that we- you sit there and it- where is the rest of the world? Where's the consultation with anyone else? And it might may- may- might seem petty, and you know, perhaps I'm kind of trying to overthinking it, but for me it just makes them slightly kind of more ridiculous and again it's that sense of familiarity been there seen it all before but that's going to be enough of my kind of man of steel rant um hopefully i can get back to kind of a more regular schedule after this uh there an epic criterion roundup coming there's so many films to get through and i'm sort of editing it and recording it as i go along so i will try and have it out for the end of this month but um, you can always kind of if you want more um, kind of podcasts from me of course go to the Masters of Cinema cast and um, you can find us on our iTunes Joachim and I have been kind of getting a pretty regular um, amount of shows out and have been enjoying it immensely so get yourself over there we've got a um, Touch of Eve episode to drop soon with the brilliant West Anthony from the Auteurs cast so many thanks for listening you can find me uh, you can email me sorry at 24framescast at gmail.com. you can find me on the blog at at um, 24framescast.blogspot.com And you can find me on Twitter At 24framescast Many thanks for listening And I will be back soon Bye